0: There was a wedding lately. And at it, a man was pointed out among the guests, and someone said, That man should be on the radio. He's a great story to tell. The man being pointed out was trim, with a straight back and a neat moustache. His name was Gerald.
1: My name is Gerald Flower, and I was born and bred in Dublin. Alfred Terrace to North Avenue.
0: When Gerald was in his teens, World War II broke out. He'd already been in the Boys' Brigade, and with his friend, he went on to join the ARP, Air Raid Precautions.
1: He was as keen as me. At night time, he'd wrap his big toe in a piece of string and hold it out the window. If I run up first, I was supposed to pull that string so we'd get him out of bed. <laughs> Just is stupid things we be done. <laughs> I worked down on Drury Street, and the factory that supplied the supplies to where I worked was bombed. That was myself out of a job. So I joined up, joined the Royal Air Force. <laughs> the pilot was a little picket crew, and so this Canadian pilot, and he called me Paddy, of course. And he said, Paddy, would you like to be my tail gunner? <laughs> Oh, that was great. Great for me. I was delighted. We've done a few runs over France at that time just dropping leaflets and stuff and then we went on to the real stuff. Talk being bored. Lancaster bomber was the heaviest bomber we had the highest speed was about 200 miles an hour. And we spent sometimes, eight hours I think was the biggest we went there and back. Target say Bremen, Berlin, Stettin. It was kind of boring. You were, nearly felt like waiting for one of these fighter planes to get you. And you are looking forward to it. How stupid we were, but... We were actually looking forward to being attacked. And I, I never forget it, we were up there in the sky and uh, all of a sudden people we knew the number of the plane, just bang, then it was just a puff of smoke and they were gone. Stuff like that happened all the time. Bombs away, Ready. there goes the cookie, and there go the assembly. One time we'd done a terrible thing. We couldn't find a target, and we had a full bomb load on. If you couldn't drop your bombs, you couldn't land it. And found a hole in the ground, and just dropped everything we had. And then went like hell out of there. <laughs>
0: Did you ever hear wh- where the place was that you dropped the bombs?
1: No, we didn't care. We wanted to get rid of them. It sounds right, but that's what we were like. we just go out, bomb and uh, come back. We never thought about the people below. We couldn't. Probably if we would, we'd have quit maybe. I don't know, but at that age you don't quit.
0: And how did fellas not crack up?
1: Some of them did. It was an awful time for them, and you'd pity them, but we we didn't call them cowards. but they had a thing in the air Force that was called l m f lack of moral fire that's what you used to stamp on your pay book
0: and when you saw a plane disappearing out of the sky and you knew the people who were in the plane, how did you not freak and lose hours of sleep and
1: I think we've been come hardened to it, now. Got used to the idea. My biggest fear was having to jump out and jump down over a target that we'd bound and go right into flames. That was a kind of a fear. We all had it, but we'd cover it up all the time.
0: And if you know if you're in a group of people and there's somebody there and you know there might be an ongoing joke about somebody or somebody might have a nickname or there might have been something they did when you were out together. And then if they're dead do you not mention their name or how do you...
1: I don't know why I'm saying this right to you, but I tell you, it took a long time to remember all this. I didn't speak about the war for 10 years because I wake up with nightmares. My wife told me that. So it must have been hard on her that time. It was just a continual roar. The engine would go That was there all the time. You were continually looking around. You're waiting for something black. Blacker than the sky to come at you. Fighter aircraft. How many searchlights would you call them? <laughs> Too many, I reckon. We were caught in a searchlight once, and once one searchlight got onto you, then they'd all form a cone. And we got caught in one of them ones, old Bremen, I never forgot that. And they there they The pilot, lucky enough, all he could do was dive, 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 and dive. He'd go down as fast as the bugger, and we managed to get out of it. one daylight we went on and we were bombing a place called Hamburg it was a Nile plant well they got it then they knocked our starboard motor out and then a starboard in and then a port out and one engine left then we stopped we lose losing right then so the pilot there he tried to hold it as long as he could and then he gave the order to bail out And we reached Holland by then. All I remember was looking down and seeing a whole of little stamped fields. They looked like a load of stamps, you know. That was nice and peaceful. The wind blew us back in the parachutes. We were nearly there, over our lines. And every now and then a little hole would appear in the parachute. The German army were loaded, and they were shooting at Crumfellas coming down. I don't blame them. We they were our enemies and we were their enemy. We landed. And I stood up then and gee, I'm gonna get away. I thought it was in France or somewhere. And uh, then this bunch of soldiers come round with their guns pointed. We were in the German front lines. The wind blew us back over that way. Otherwise, we'd been all safe. <laughs> and then after that was the prison camp, of course. 70 to a boxcar. We finally ended up in a place called Breslau on the Polish-German border. They had no food themselves. It was about a tenth of a loaf of bread and a cup of pea soup. And all the peas had little beetles inside them. (laughs) But we were getting to the stage where we were starving. You'd eat anything then. Then the Russians were advancing and the Germans took us with them. Oh, it was the middle of winter, November sometime. Terrible time was they were marching us. Just 1,500 or something. We marched about 100 miles. And they say that it was one of the worst winters they've ever had in a 100 years. Lots of guys were dropping by the wayside. One guy I saw was shot there. He was caught milking a cow. And they shot him. Because that was against the rules. <laughs> we were marching so far that the column was strung out because the guards we had, they were older people they couldn't make it either We were protected in a way even when they marched us through Essen we had German soldiers on each side of us, protecting us from the population. But they called us terrorfliegers, which is Terrafliegers. They were actually protecting us, so that the civilian population couldn't get us. Now, I remember we were going over some kind of a mountain one day, on that march, and all there was was dead Germans around, that there'd been some kind of a battle. All young Germans, young people probably like ourselves, we just didn't matter. They were just, they weren't even dead people to us, they were just young men lying down this way, that way, scattered all over the place. It was probably one of Hitler's youth crowd. Probably, because they used everybody they could. Then finally we were all herded into boxcars again and shipped back to another camp not far from Berlin. Every day you'd see the Germans marching those poor old Russians out into the woods collecting wood and only half of them would come back. They'd kill them or work them to death. They were treated like animals, worse than you'd treat a dog. I remember the day when the first Russian tank came around that compound, and it went all around the wire, pushing all the water down. I could still visualize it. And there was a, a Russian man. He fell in front of the tank, and it went right over him. That was the worst thing I've ever seen. Just squashed. There was nothing left on the ground except a big black spot, dark
0: spot. So that guy was minutes from freedom. Right. And he was killed by the...
1: Well, he was celebrating his freedom. He got too close to the Russian tank and just slipped. And that was it. The first thing they'd done was send out raiding parties. we go to different farms. So these people, one farm lot, a farmer and his wife, they said they had no, no food. Well, our own people found the food up in the, an attic on their farmhouse. So we got a whole lot of potatoes. And, you know, the Russians done? they just shot the two of them right there. But we didn't mind. Didn't matter. You get immune to war. You get immune to all this sort of stuff. I didn't get out of the camp till after the war, but the thing was signed. The 10th of May, which was my father's birthday. <laughs> my sister told me, she said uh, when he heard that it was a prisoner of war, she said it was the first time she ever saw a father cry. Because they f- figured I was gone. I remember being in Dublin, walking down O'Connell Street. And even at that time, he felt, well, I'd want the trainers again for the Japanese stuff. I was walking along O'Connell Street, and then this young boy, the stop press thing, the war ended, they dropped an atomic bomber on Nagasaki. And I thought, great, no more going back.
0: Gerald was finally discharged in 1947. He returned to Ireland and married Elizabeth Daly, and he has four children. Then, the family emigrated to Canada. Eventually, he settled in a job at Vancouver Airport in the stores. He describes himself as happy and has written several novels, one of which he hopes to publish. How did you keep your spirits up? I've
1: thought over that a lot. The train and the word of God. That's all I can figure out. I don't know, or else uh, the devil's not ready for me yet.
0: (laughs) Gerald Flower. (laughs) Something like that. (laughs) You've been listening to The Curious Here. I'm Ronan Kelly.